Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former AmLaw 100 partner who, just five years into my legal career, found myself teetering on the edge of burnout. Instead of becoming yet another burnout statistic, I decided to redefine success on my own terms, enabling me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating the challenges of two kids, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness. And I'm now on a mission to help lawyers do just that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both life and law. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 16 of the Life in Law Podcast. This is Heather Mulder, your host. And today we are getting into a pretty important topic in my mind. We are going to talk about taking parental leave. And there are a couple of things I want to address before we get into our guest for today, because today we have our second guest. So number one, parental leave, I think, is a very important topic from several perspectives. Number one, obviously, from those of us who need and want to take parental leave. And that's not just women, y'all. There are more and more men wanting to take parental leave as well. And so I suggest to you, regardless of whether you're male or female, that you probably want to listen to today's and next week's episode. Also, even if you are past that point, you no longer need to take parental leave. There are a couple of reasons why I think you need to listen to today's episode as well. Number one, if you are in a management position of any kind, and even if you're not, you probably will be at some point, it's important for you to understand the issues that revolve around taking parental leave and coming back. I think that the legal world especially, and this is especially the case in the law firm environment, loses way too much talent because they don't have very good either parental leave policies or maybe they have policies, but culturally they're not really where they should be. And you lose too many people. And I think that's a shame. So I want you to listen to this from that perspective. Also, this isn't um, what we're talking about today in the mindful return isn't really just about parental leave, although the guest I'm bringing on came up with a program that is very specifically based on taking parental leave, you're going to find that every single thing she talks about is applicable to any leave of absence. And in fact, it would have been very applicable when I had to take a leave of absence back when I had cancer. And no matter who you are or where you are, what stage you're at, There could be a point where, heaven forbid, you have to take a leave of absence for some reason. Maybe it's because of an illness, not for you, but of a family member or a death in the family or something. Life happens. It's messy. It's difficult. And many of us have to take some sort of leave of absence during the course of our career. So all of the things that we talk about today and next week are applicable to any leave of absence situation. So I do encourage you to to listen to today's episode regardless of what stage you're at and whether or not you ever envision yourself taking a parental leave and see how you can take the lessons learned and apply it to your life. Finally, this was a pretty long interview. Um, We talked for over an hour and so I've split it into two. Today's is a little bit longer. Today we are getting specifically into how to mindfully take a parental leave and return to work. And then next week we're going to get into how to apply this to the dads out there because I think that's often ignored. 
And then also we will get into the perspective of employers from a management situation, from an employer situation, how you can um, help your employees take a mindful parental leave and return to work. So let's get into today's interview. Okay, y'all. So today we have quite the treat. I was recently introduced to today's guest and absolutely knew that I had to have her on. And so without further ado, I want to introduce you to Lori Mihalik-Levin. Lori is a partner in the healthcare practice at Denton's, the founder and creator of Mindful Return, which includes a maternity leave e-course, and author of Back to Work After Baby, How to Plan and Navigate a Mindful Return from Maternity Leave. She's mama to two wonderful redheaded boys, ages eight and 10, and the co-host of the Parents at Work podcast. Her thought leadership on issues related to working parenthood has been featured in publications including Forbes, The Washington Post, New York Times Parenting, Thrive Global, and The Huffington Post. Welcome, Lori. It's so nice to have you on the Life and Law podcast. It's a delight to be here with you, Heather. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Thanks for having me. Me too. Me too. So, okay, you've been introduced briefly, but I think the audience might want to know a bit more. So before we get into my questions for you, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about you and what led you to form Mindful Return and what its purpose is? Sure. So I live in Washington, D.C., and I'm a healthcare lawyer. I was in-house whenever I had my two babies, and I basically created Mindful Return out of sheer desperation. I looked around whenever I had my babies, and I returned to work full-time after both of them, and I found so many resources focused on baby, and that's great because babies need resources, right? We need to know how to pump and nourish our babies and you know, puree baby food and all that sort of stuff. But I couldn't find anything helpful and not snarky about the personal and professional identity transition that the parent goes through in navigating a return to work after parental leave. And so, you know, I would find things like, oh, you're going to leak on your shirt and don't put a photo of your baby <laughs> on your on your desk or people might not take you seriously. And I was like, that's not helpful. Um, and so it was really after I went back to work after baby number two, that I personally went off the rails and I'm sure had undiagnosed postpartum anxiety and was just in tears on the kitchen floor way more often than I'd like to admit. And I wound up signing up for this wonderful program called the Abundant Mama Project. And it was an online course of about a hundred moms from all over the world who were trying to find the abundance in life instead of just the overwhelm. And it grounded me, it taught me gratitude practices, it helped me sort of come back to myself. And I said to my husband one night, there should be this course, but focused on the return to work after baby. <laughs> and of course, my husband is a career coach and an entrepreneur, and he quipped back, well, what are you going to do about it? And so that was sort of my challenge to sit down and start blogging and, and ultimately creating an online cohort-based course so you can be in community with other parents as you're transitioning back to work. Because I feel like we really, really need each other, and it's so easy to isolate yourself during this time. Yes, definitely. Well, okay. So I'm especially excited about our conversation today because I'm with you. I don't think there's enough resources out there. Now we have yours, thankfully, but there's still not enough out there. And I think that's especially the case for the high achievers, the driven high achievers out there, like the lawyers who listen to this podcast. And <laughs> frankly, not everybody who listens to this podcast is a lawyer, but they're all very driven people. And I felt like when I had my kids back when I was practicing law, it was as if I was expected to suddenly give up my big dreams. 
you know, there was this either or thing going on, like, well, you're a mom now. <laughs> so you're supposed to focus on mom stuff and not be as go getter and highly driven as though there was something wrong with it. But if you want to do that, that's okay. You just need to make sure then that you're not being a mom too much, right? Like that's this either or juxtaposition that I think is BS <laughs> in all honesty, but that a lot of driven people, especially lawyers fall prey to. Absolutely. And yeah. I think you and I both know now, I was a partner, you're a partner. It is possible to succeed in both, but you need some help in figuring out how to do it. Yeah, you need some help and it really helps to see other people on that path and say, okay, well, they managed to figure it out. How did they get there? Um, I also want to bring up the research of um, this wonderful woman who's a psychologist at Yale named Yael Schoenbrunn, and she focuses on the concept of work family enrichment. And, mm. you know, talks about how, and, the, you know, there are scientific studies now that show that our, our work can enrich how we feel about our family and being with our family can enrich how we feel about work. Um, I mean, you know, a simple example, when you shut off in the evening to have dinner with your family, if you know, you're doing that one evening and your brain is totally tuned into family and what happened at school, and then you go and play a game and that sort of thing, you come back to work, even if it's later that evening, more refreshed than if you had not turned yourself off and you're probably, you know, more engaged in that work because you had a chance to do something else. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so let's start kind of at the beginning. What are some of the biggest concerns that you see new parents grapple with as they take parental leave and then return to work? Yeah, ah, uh, the there are ten thousand concerns. Um, <laughs> we can go policy. We can go mindset. I'd say they probably fall into those two buckets. I'd say some of the concerns that parents face are around their parental leave, the logistics of that, the policies not being clear with the employer as to how it works, conflicted, conflicting information coming out of HR, um, and the fact that we just, in, this, in the United States, don't have a paid parental leave policy. So there's that concern, right? How am I going to mm -hmm. afford this, and, and what is that going to look like? And then there's a lot of mental angst that I think a lot of new parents go through. There's confidence issues, right? Whenever we become a new parent and suddenly we're exposed to something that we're not an expert in. I mean, uh -huh. we're an expert on our own baby, but we have no freaking idea how to keep this kid alive, really. And <laughs> when he's supposed to be sleeping and napping and how much he's supposed to be eating. And I think we're suddenly spending our entire day doing something that is brand new to us. And I think that can shake confidence. I think also the very well-documented motherhood biases in the workplace. Uh -huh they're real. And we know that people are judging us for being a parent, just like you were saying, um, you're not supposed to have the ambition. And so, you know, how will people think of us when we come back? I hear from parents all the time. Well, if I was able to leave and, and go on parental leave, they must not have needed me that much. I must not be that good at my job or that oh, special. Wow. I mean, there's that. And then let's layer on the big G word, right? Which we all talk about the guilt. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I hear new parents say, well, it's because I went back to work that I didn't see my baby, you know, take his first step or roll over for the first time. I'm like, no, no, no. If a tree falls in a forest and, you know, there was no one to hear it, did it make a sound like your baby could roll over at night in his crib or in front of grandma or any of that? It's not yep. because you went to work. 
right. that you um, didn't see that thing. And P.S. You'll be just as happy to see it whenever it happens. So, <laughs> um, and, and I mean, like, and then there's the the health issues, the recovery, the fact that we don't give a lot of recovery time to new parents. There's the sleep deprivation, which can mess mm. with all sorts of issues around emotional stability and ability to make decisions. So, I mean, I could go on and on, but those are some right. of the things that I see on a regular basis that new parents are struggling with. Yeah, I would definitely second that, that sleep deprivation makes all of those other things feel so much worse. <laughs> it magnifies all of the other concerns. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it makes your mind less rational. Let's just be honest here. When you're not sleeping, you're not as rational. Yes. You're a lot more emotional. Yeah. And it's a harder, it's, it makes it so much harder. So do you feel like any of these are, are exacerbated even more in the legal world? Of course. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I think first of all, a lot of us lawyers are risk averse type A <laughs> overachievers. We like order and structure. Mm -hmm. And that's pro probably one of the things that drew us to the law in the first place. And we've just entered a period of our lives when order and structure is out the window, right? Predictability, oh, yeah. forget it. <laughs> and then there's, of course, the billable hour world for many of us who are in private practice. And I sometimes get on a soapbox about this concept, but I think working parenthood makes us infinitely more efficient. Mm -hmm. And so I can get done 10 million things in the time that it takes someone who does not have children to get done like 10 of the 10 million things. Yep. And I am not rewarded for that in a bill billable hour environment because I'm supposed to drag things out, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> in order to meet my hours and bill clients in that way. And so I have definitely found there to be tension between efficiency and productivity as measured by minutes worked for a client. So, okay. So these are all the problems that we're facing. Let's talk about how to deal with it, how to successfully maybe take leave, transition back to work. I know that you, you teach in your mindful return course, four different themes for a successful transition. What are those themes? And can you give examples of each? Yes. And before I do that, I just want to pause and recognize that there are structural problems here. There's the lack of paid leave. There's the inherent sexism. There's the motherhood bias. And I don't want to put on anyone's shoulders the idea that we should be fixing ourselves here instead of uh -huh. the society rising to the level of realizing there are issues and doing things on a societal basis and on a policy basis to solve it. That said, living in a world where all these things are broken, I found that it was really important to do things to help maintain my own sanity and to um, help me live within this strange world that we're in. So those four well, themes. Oh, okay, go ahead. So wait, before yeah. you go on with your four themes, I want to point that out. And I think this is an important point that you made. We have to deal with whatever we're living in in the moment. It doesn't mean that we're not trying to work towards better and change. And we can talk about those things also. but for new parents, they kind of have to deal with whatever structure they're within at the moment. And so I'm glad that you dealt with that because it's two separate, two separate things, right? I just want to make clear to the audience out there that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to fix things. And we are going to get into a little bit in a, in a little bit, I've got some questions for Lori where we can, we're going to start talking about, well, what can the employers do? What, you know, what can you do from that side of things? So be sure to stay tuned and it may be in a second part, but we are going to get into that. So, okay. Go. Oh, thank you, Heather. <laughs> yeah, I just never want anyone to think that I'm putting all the burden on the mom's shoulders and saying, hey, go fix yourself. 
because right. that's not at all what I'm doing. I'm trying to help you get some survival strategies and ways to connect to keep yourself more healthy so that you can succeed in the environments that we're in right now. So the four themes of the Mindful Return Program are really four things that I wished I had focused on when I went back to work after both babies. I think my return would have been a lot calmer and more successful. And these four themes that I'm about to talk about are things that I think are useful for any major transition. So it could be that you're moving to a new house, or it could be that um, you're going back to the office after uh, COVID, right? I mean, all of these, I think these themes are useful for any major transition. But the first one is a mindful mindset. And that's really like how to get your head in a better place as you're going back. And my A number one tip on the mindful mindset piece is the gratitude practice that I mentioned that I learned in the Abundant Mama course. And for me, um, shutting down at night is a real challenge and turning my brain off to go to sleep is a real challenge. And when I started having a nightly gratitude practice where I wrote down three to five things that I was grateful for in the day. Um, funny things that my kids said or did, or, uh -huh. you know, that they just learned how to do. Um, I found that it reoriented my end of day thinking on a much more positive note. Yes. It helped me fall asleep faster. And, you know, yes. I needed all the extra minutes of sleep that I could possibly get. <laughs> and I had a record of like, you know, some of the sweet moments that I wouldn't have captured in early childhood. So um, mindful mindset, I could go on about lots of different practices, but I think gratitude practice was most helpful to me. Um, you know, I'm grateful that I have this baby to snuggle with at 3 a.m., even though he's up, you know? Right. Um, all of those things. And then, okay, so that's mindful mindsets prong number one. So gratitude, by the way, y'all, is something I talk about a lot. It is so powerful, and it is the simplest thing you can possibly do. You don't have to have a lot of time for it. I've always been a glasses half full kind of a girl since probably early 20s, and I've been made fun of for that. But I never really did gratitude until I got cancer. And that's when I learned the power of gratitude. So please take this and run with it if you're a new parent. And even if you're not, it is so powerful. Yeah. So. Thank you for reiterating that. Mm -hmm. Some of these micro mindfulness practices, I think can get overlooked as, oh, it's hokey or it's just going to take right. it, whatever. It's, if it takes such a short amount of time, how powerful could it really be? It, it only takes 17 seconds, say the neuroscientist, to shift your brain to a more positive yep. outlook than negative. So like take the 17 seconds. So second prong is logistics. And, you know, in the mindful return course, we spend a lot of time on lots of the logistics that happen whenever you come back. But I guess mm -hmm. one example that I would share is after I came back after my first baby, I treated it as catching up. Like I needed to catch up on everything that had happened, right? <laughs> like I needed to read every yes. federal register notice that came out and I needed to like feel as though I had somehow covered everything that I had missed. And that was exhausting. And three months back, I felt like I was still behind. Like you had to pretend that you were never gone, right? Yeah. And, and I, yeah. And with my second baby, I decided to reframe that. I decided not to read the thousands of emails that had come to me while I was out. I decided not to read the government publications. I decided that the people who covered for me while they were while I was out were the people to go to if there were any questions on what happened during my absence. And oh, I decided yes. that coming back, I would ask everybody on my team and who I worked with two questions. One, what did I miss so that they could just fill me in and I wouldn't have to spend hours reading everything? Mm -hmm. And two, how can I help moving forward? What can I do moving forward? So it was a much more forward looking orientation to the return okay. um, that I would really commend to people. There are all sorts of logistical things that we could talk about. 
you know, don't come back on a Monday. Um, you know, can you <laughs> phase back into work, you know, phase your child into childcare the week before you come and phase into work. So you have a chance to work through some things yourself, uh -huh. schedule pumping for a whole year on your calendar so that the times are just blocked. <laughs> I mean, all the stuff I learned, I it was did great. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but that's problem number two is logistics. Problem number three is leadership. And sometimes people are like, why are we talking about leadership? I just had a baby, leave me alone. Mm -hmm. And to that, I say, there are so many skills that you are gaining as a new parent that make you an amazing and brilliant leader uh -huh. in this world. And we need to reflect on those, write them down, value them, talk about them in your review. Let people know you have them. And I mean, we can probably between the two of us come up with a couple dozen of them, but some of the top ones that come to mind are prioritization in terms of knowing what really matters in a day, yep. um, being able to meet the needs of demanding clients who can't articulate those needs particularly well, uh -huh. you know, um, shifting on a moment to moment basis, all these things that we learn that if you look at the leaders in the world who you most admire, these are the skills that they're gaining, right? Um, the other thing I'd say is take credit on your annual review for a well-planned leave and return. I think planning for maternity leave is one of those hidden office housework tasks that goes yep. unrecognized. And no, yep. it's not a billable task. And yes, it matters to your team and it matters to everyone um, that you invested the time to do it right. So, Well, I love that because it shows your ability to plan it shows your ability to rely on others and allow others to step up and yep. help build them up. It, sh it shows so many different things and it really depends on what level you're at. But, you know, regardless of what level you're at, even if you're an associate, unless you're in your first year or two, and even then sometimes you have people that you are managing, right? Mm -hmm. So regardless of what level you're at, you probably have someone below you that you are managing. Yes. And you should take credit for your ability to navigate that appropriately. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. And we say, oh, we discount it. We say, oh, well, of course I managed everything. And of course I took care of it because it was on me to do so. And, you know, to that, I tell the story of this, this guy who took a leave as an associate from a major firm who, uh, because he wasn't showing, no one knew. And he told everyone basically the day before he went out on a month of paternity leave that he was going and had put nothing in place and didn't even tell the group that he was oh, wow. going to be going out on paternity leave. And everyone just sort of fell apart and it, it was a mess. And that to me indicates that there's a ton of work that goes into making it not be a mess. So let's highlight that and let's take credit for it. Yeah, you should. And I will say this. So when I, um, and I never did that for my, my first, I had two kids and I never took credit for it. And I should have, I realized after the fact I should have, because I had to take a long leave of absence when I was out for my cancer treatment mm -hmm. and kind of manage, you know, what was going on when I was out, but I only managed things from a very, very, very high level, like as in checking in once a week to make sure things weren't falling apart, but I did mm -hmm. zero work for mm -hmm. like nine months, zero work. And when I came back in, I, I realized, you know, I enabled other people to really step up and do all these things. And like, when you take a leave of absence, regardless of what it's for, if you are doing what you need to be doing and managing it, you are making that transition so seamless and so much easier for everyone else. So you absolutely should take credit. And you're also allowing others to step up and you must take credit for that. That's important mm -hmm. because it shows your ability as a leader. This is why leadership is so important, right? <laughs>
Yeah. Yeah. You're really growing your team yep. when you step back and you let them flourish. And there may be things that you passed off to team members after you come back from leave that you don't want back ever. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it may be that, you know, this is an opportunity to sort of reorient yourself and come back to a cleaner slate than you had a few months prior. Um, and there may be things that you absolutely do want back when you come back. And it's very important to articulate what those are too, so that they don't necessarily disappear from your plate, um, you know, during your leave. Okay. Awesome. So, um, so we've talked about mindset, logistics, leadership, and then the fourth prong is community. And this is another one of those ones where I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I should get to know other moms. Um, and <laughs> I was like, but I can probably figure it all out myself because that's what I do. And that's the type of person I am. And that was absolutely the deadliest possible approach to new parenthood. I isolated huh. myself in ways that I, in retrospect, really shouldn't have. Had I not isolated myself so massively, I probably would never have created Mindful Return. So, you know, there's that. Um, but I had my first baby in the winter in December. It was December 2010. We had three big snowstorms that winter. I didn't want to leave the house, you know, understandably. Um, I didn't join any of the moms groups. I was just, I felt very alone. And I mm. feel like um, to the extent when you come back to work, you can plan a um, lunch or a coffee in person or virtual for your first day back, for your first week back with someone else who's been through a transition from parental leave. Mm-hmm. You know, that can really help find your people. I wound up becoming a serial founder of working parent groups, both at the trade association <laughs> where I worked and at the law firm where I work now. And I can't say enough about the amazing opportunity to meet other working parents and hear their struggles and be real with them. That has helped me on my journey through working parenthood. It's why I created Mindful Return. It's why the course is not a go at your own pace course. It's a do it with a group so that you get to be in a cohort with other people who are all going back around the same time you are. You can all say to each other, wow, I'm not, oh, that thing I'm thinking, it's not crazy. Everybody else is actually thinking it too. You know, I have a friend who likes to say that the the playground is the new golf course. Like getting to hang out with other parents is absolutely an opportunity to build business and network too. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've gotten work from people who I attended the parent group with, That's you know, awesome. moms and dads. And if anybody out there is looking to start or lead a working parent group, they've really exploded over the past five years. And uh, two things. One, I'd strongly encourage you, if you're a woman starting one of these groups, to start it with a co-lead who is male so that you also get the engagement of the dads in the the parent group. And um, I run a group called the Working Parent Group Network, or WPGN, which is about 160 or 170 leaders of working parent groups at organizations all across the country of all different shapes and sizes and types. And we get together every six to eight weeks by Zoom just to share ideas and not reinvent the wheel for these working parent groups, et cetera. So feel free to reach out and uh, happy to connect you with that resource as well. That's awesome. Yes. And so just FYI, everybody, there will be links to everything she mentions and the show notes to this episode. So if you want to go finding it, just go, uh, go look at the show note links. Great. Okay. So You've talked about their four themes and about what people can start doing. We need to kind of deal with the next one, which is a big issue for most people and especially for lawyers. And that's boundaries. Ooh, the <laughs> boundaries, <laughs> right? It's a big struggle for, yeah. especially for those of us in the service related industry where we have clients constantly calling us, always wanting us. We feel like we always need to be on, almost like on call, like a doctor on call. 
So how do you advocate setting boundaries without burning bridges, especially? Yeah. So a couple of thoughts here. First of all, there's a wonderful book called Deep Work by Cal Newport. Mm -hmm. And Cal Newport talks about the fact that studies show, research shows that people are understanding of our ability to become unavailable so long as the unavailability is communicated well, documented well, and at the end of the unavailability, you are again easy to find. And so people think, oh, I have to be on, I have to be on, I have to be on. No, you can be off. You just have to communicate the off and be back when you say you're going to be back. And so I sort of rely on that principle a lot. I also rely a lot on Brene Brown's boundary mantra, which is choose discomfort over resentment. And so mm. when I'm setting a boundary, I think, am I going to resent not setting this? And if so, it's okay to be uncomfortable in setting it. Setting boundaries isn't easy. It's not comfortable, but it's way better than feeling resentful of everyone around you when you don't set them. In terms of doing it without burning bridges, I like to follow a fairly simple formula for saying no, which is expressing your shared commitment with the person who you're saying no to. So talking about the things that you both value, being clear but short, you don't have to explain yourself away. Uh, uh, you know, no. you have to go into a thousand reasons why you can't do it. Offering an alternative, oh, so-and-so might be able to do that, or here's another idea. And then the last and thing for negotiate. me, yep. yeah. And then the last thing for me is to say, you know, I really love the goal that you have or the mission that you have. And I know now's not a right, the right time for me, but feel free to come back in six months or a year or mm -hmm. whatever. You know, if it's like, will you join this committee? Will you lead this whatever project? I love your goal. I love the project. Come back to me in a year. It might be a different story for me then. You know, leave the door open to, to collaborating yes. in other ways in the future. Yeah. And I love that. And I think, so I actually wrote an article like probably a couple of years ago now, and I'll link to it about how to say no without feeling guilty about saying no. Um, that, that whole no explaining is so important because understand that when you over explain, they see you as, oh, they feel bad about it. And often they see that as a negotiation point, the other person, and they badger you into saying yes. And th this mm -hmm. is how people often think they're going to say no. And they end up, well, how did I get to where I said yes when I intended to say no? And oftentimes it's because you go into that over explanation, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then you start to feel bad and you feel worse and they, they pounce on it. So there's that. The other thing I would say is always remember that saying no isn't really about the no. It's, it's an enforcement mechanism for your boundaries. And so if you have a very clear idea of why you need to say no and why you need your boundaries in place, it's a lot easier. So if you need to buy yourself time, mm -hmm. do it, right? To, to remind yourself, okay, this is why I need to say no and get clear. I used to have kind of a, if somebody came and asked me for something that was going to take time that wasn't in my budget, my schedule, I almost always had to go to, you know what, unless it was an automatic, I just know this is no and I have no problem saying no right now, I would say, let me check my calendar and get back to you. And sometimes I would get back in just 10 minutes. Sometimes it would be an hour, I'd have, you know, but it would buy me time to set my intention and then go all in. <laughs> yeah, so. yes, absolutely. Um, I love the buying time. I want to raise one issue around buying time that I think comes up for working parents a lot. 
which is sort of the inverse. It's where, um, you know, let's present the scenario. A partner walks into the room and says, I've got this amazing opportunity. Like I want you to lead XYZ project. Mm. And you're sitting there and you're going, I'd love to, but I have no idea how that's going to work at home. Like that's just not going to be good. And so there as a working parent, you might buy time because you need to buy time to work out a schedule with your partner to say like, can you take the kids on this one week? Because I'm going to have to be in trial. And I, I just got invited to do this. And what I think happens is that the partner who walks into the office and sees you buying the time thinks you're not committed, right? They think, oh, she doesn't really want to do it. And so I, I just want to sort of highlight for managers, for people who supervise parents, that the pause is not a lack of enthusiasm. Correct. The pause is an, I need to figure out some logistics here and to make it a practice whenever you walk in to anybody's office with a big assignment to not interpret the speed of response as right. the dedication to the job. Absolutely. And I would say too, when I'm counseling, I guess, coaching around this with people who get into that situation, there's also a way to say it. Mm-hmm. Now you can't, you can't always know exactly how they're going to take it, but there is a better way to say it. So if you kind of automatically, oh, well, I don't know if I can, that's not necessarily the best route, right? I would always say, well, oh my God, that sounds so amazing. I would love to, but can I just check on a couple of things? Cause I need to make sure it's going to fit in my schedule yeah. and I will get back to you in the next, you know, half hour. Like, and I would give them a time deadline and then I would pick up the phone and call my husband and like figure out yeah, how am I going right. to make this work? Can I make this work? Yeah. Yeah. I've also grown um, very good at not using the word, but like, I love that opportunity and I need a couple of minutes uh, and I'll yeah. replace it with yeah, the yeah. and and say like, That's and I'll, I'll be back to you soon. Um, but yeah, excellent points around how we can reframe that initial reaction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, one final thing about boundaries that I wanted to make note. Just remember, when you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else and vice versa. Like, I think we all tend to think of, oh my God, I'm saying no to all these things, but you have to say no to say yes to your priorities. And that's really what saying no is. It's about enforcing your boundaries so that you get to actually prioritize the things that are most important to you. And so keep that in mind at all times. <laughs> it helps. Yes, yes. Um, I was looking around on my desk because I, I have this book that I'm now not finding and I just wanted to read something from it, but I'll I'll get it to you for show notes. Um, it's Laura Vanderkam's parable called Juliet's School of Possibilities. And she, Laura Vanderkam is a time management expert. She wrote a book called 168 Hours and a whole bunch of other books. Um, but Juliet's School of Possibilities is, you know, this short parable about a professional woman. And there's a, a sentence in the paragraph in there about um, you know, the fact that even if like you can never meet all of the expectations of your colleagues, your friends, your parents, your sisters, your brothers, your colleagues, your, and yourself, we are always, always choosing. And so Mm -hmm. it helps me to remember that like, it's just not possible to meet everyone's expectations. So don't try. (laughs) And I'm going to try to meet the ones that are more important rather than the ones that are flashing right in front of me. Well, and yeah, and remember that your expectations are probably the most important. Yes. <laughs> Not everybody else. Ultimately, yes. Ultimately, right? Okay. Exactly. So something I did want to raise is how do partners and shareholders deal with this? So I asked this because my first child, my first child was born when I was a senior associate. 
And it was hard because I was looking towards partnership and I had to be on bed rest with both of my children, which pretty much sucked. And then I took a full leave of absence with my first because I felt like I owed it to him, right? So I took, I had really generous policies where I was, I thought at least. Um, I took some, I took a full leave of absence. A large part of it was paid. Some of it was unpaid because of the bed rest, but it, you know, I was at a big firm. I could afford it, right? <laughs> What mm -hmm. I didn't realize was how much harder that would be once I became shareholder and had started to create my own book of business. And it, it, to the point where because I was on bed rest with my second child, I did not take a very long actual leave with him. And then forever felt like, well, not forever, but for a long while felt pretty guilty that I mm -hmm. shortchanged my second kid <laughs> <laughs> um, and didn't give him everything I gave my first kid. So what advice do you have for partners and shareholders who have their own books of business and want to take some sort of leave. Yeah, well, I, I'd first just want to say your your child will never remember that, right, Heather? We have to remind ourselves I of these things. I now know this, and I'm good with it. But at the time, yeah. it was like devastating to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'll be straightforward and say I didn't take um, my parental leaves while I was a partner at a law firm either. Um, and so I suspect that you have a lot more um, on the ground insight into this. But I think um, some of the themes that we were just talking about, about communication and expressing enthusiasm and setting expectations are so applicable here. Uh -huh. um, right. And communicating with clients that are your clients. Right. You yep. cultivated the relationship and you want to keep working for them afterwards. I think it's important to have that conversation with them that says, I love the work that I do for you. I think we make a great team. I believe in your mission and I really, really want to continue doing that. Um, I am going to do this normal human thing called having a baby and you know, mm -hmm. I will be back at X time. And in the meantime, I will help you get your needs met through X, Y, and Z person. Mm -hmm. And I want to keep working for you when I come back. Like saying right. that out loud, I think really matters. I'm curious to hear your perspectives on that. I think the other big thing is that when you're, you have your own book of business or for me, like right now I have my own business. You have your own business. It's all the more important to get so clear on what your values are and what mm. you are prioritizing, knowing that life is long and opportunities are many yes. and you will build up a book of business. If, if you lose a client here or there, because they don't you know care about parents and don't want to, you know, right. work with you. Okay. Um, and you're going to have a million more opportunities. And as you said before, you're choosing, you're always choosing something when you say no to something else. That's definitely true. I would say this, and I didn't learn this until, again, I had to take a leave of absence for my cancer. But I think my piece of advice that I learned from that experience would be this. Really be intentional about who you build your book of business with mm -hmm. for the long term. And don't be afraid to lose clients if they're mm -hmm. not the right fit and understand that the right fit clients when you're a young partner without children may not be the right fit clients when you start to have a family because your values kind of change and shift and your stage of life changes right yeah, yeah. so i i and and also and this this somewhat depends on the leave of absence policies where you are one of the things that frustrated me when I was on leave with my second child as a partner is they wanted to lock me out of the system when I was on leave, which was ridiculous 
in my mind, given that I was a partner with a book of business and I needed to check in with my clients occasionally, right? Mm -hmm. it, it depends also on your business, your clients, who you have filling in, that kind of a thing. But I basically learned the second time around when I had cancer that if I went and complained and talked to people more, I could get it set up so I still had access to the system. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do any of the work and I was on a, a leave. I was on a disability leave at that time. Um, but I could still then check in, see what was going on. And I, I basically had a weekly check-in where I picked up the phone and called people who were working on stuff for me just to see how they were doing. And it, yeah. it was like 30 to 40 minutes of my time per week, which I definitely had. And I wished at that point that I'd done that <laughs> with my second child, because I think I would have taken a, re a better leave of absence. So that that's kind of my my couple of pieces of advice that I would check into. And and just because you're on leave doesn't mean that you, you don't pick up the phone and check in with people and you don't navigate that. It, it's really up to you. But also don't be afraid to walk away and let other teams of people handle it. As long as you tell your clients, look, I absolutely adore working with you. I'm still coming back. I'm going to be here full time. I've got this team, wonderful team of people who are going to take care of you. Call me if you need, so, you know, if something mm -hmm. goes wrong, right? And if you developed that relationship with those clients the right way, they're going to respect that and not call you unless there's a true emergency. So yeah, very intentional. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I'm just having a flashback to one difference between my first and second leave also, which was my second leave. I had. Um, a direct report that I didn't have with my first leave. And about six weeks after I had my baby, we did schedule about a half an hour once a week for us to check in and me to mentor her and that sort of thing. And I found that to be a calming practice because then I knew that the things were being taken care of. And I encourage people who are putting together a written maternity leave plan as they prepare to go out on leave to start envisioning what that might look like. It's okay to write it down and say, don't bother me for X number of weeks. <laughs> and then after that, I will be available for half an hour on Monday mornings or whatever that is. Right, um, right. And to, you know, actually start documenting that and share that and socialize it with the team so that um, everybody can be on the same page about what your plan is. Awesome. I kind of see this as your framework as not just being perfect for taking leave and coming back, but really helping set you up for longer term success within the legal world. Um, whatever that means to you, be it you want to become a partner and grow a big book of business, be it moving up into an executive position inside a company, you know, whatever that is. I feel like a lot of, especially women, give up on a lot of their long term dreams and visions of what they really want out of their legal careers once they become moms. So how can they take what they learn within their mindful return Mm -hmm. and leverage that into a longer term career without giving up so much at home or at work. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I love that question. Um, because what you're learning and the mindsets and the patterns that you're developing as a brand new parent are definitely things that you can carry on with you, even as the life challenges and stages change. Um, I guess I'd say two things. One, I've thought a lot about how this mindful return framework around the four prongs can be helpful for any major life transition. Um, mm -hmm. We moved to a new house and I was like, you know, in chaos, like, oh my gosh, I can't handle this. And you know, we have to be out in X number of days and all the boxes need to be packed. And I thought, okay, like come back to mindset, logistics, leadership, and community. And, you know, that there was a microcosm of my family as opposed to mm -hmm. the broader work world. 
Um, and, you know, as we talk about transitioning back to offices after COVID, this framework, mm. I think, is really helpful. Um, yeah. And P.S., I think working parents are the experts that employers should be going to to ask for advice on how to navigate a transition back to work um, because uh-huh. we've done it before. But that aside, I think that a framework like this and developing the routines and rituals and mindsets and habits of gratitude, of micro self-care, of viewing your skills as a benefit to the workplace are things that you can keep reminding yourself of on a regular basis and are just as important when your kids are two or 12 or 22 um, as they are when you're babies, right? Um, Right. I think intentionally carving out that time to reset and remind yourself of these themes and connect to other parents who can remind you and hold up a mirror and show you that you have all these skills and talents mm-hmm. um, can be really helpful along the way too. So yeah, I think it's useful over the life cycle. Awesome. Yes. No, I would agree with that. It sounds like your course, and we will link to it guys in the show notes if you're interested, is just a really good foundation for healthier living yeah. <laughs> in general, right? <laughs> for uh-huh. preparing your mind and then learning how to prioritize and actually then prioritizing the things that are important to you and then also reaching out for help and community. So all mm-hmm. those things are so important and yet it's so easy for us to forget and to let go of some of these things at different times. So stay the course <laughs> is kind yeah. of the big thing. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the people who go through the Mindful Return course are then part of a Mindful Return alumni community. And we have a monthly call called a call for calm, which is really an invitation to anyone who's been through the program to remember these themes awesome. and to come back again and again. And, you know, now people who have babies who are, you know, eight and 10, and we're, we're all sort of helping each other along the way, even though we're all past not all, some of us are past that baby stage now. Well, and I got to tell you guys, as a mom of an 11 and 15 year old, it doesn't get easier. (laughs) (laughs) It, it, your time, actually, I was, we were, before we got on this recording, I was telling Lori about my weekend and my schedule these days, and it's crazy. It's a lot crazier than it was when they were little. So it's a myth to think that, oh, they're just going to get past this stage and it's all going to get easier. No. The thing is, is you kind of have, you just learn how to navigate it better and how to manage it all. And I think what it sounds like this course really help, will help you do that. Um, I wish I'd had it back then because it probably would have set the stage for me much, much more quickly. But I wish I had it too, which is why I created it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and there, there are certain things that are easier, right? Like I do love the fact that my children are not waking up at 5.30 in the morning or multiple times at night. Or I feel right. like there's the a physical burden easier. and just a physical burden. Like I'm not carrying my boys around anywhere. Correct. There's no, no one Correct. who's about to fall down the stairs. But- you don't have that. It's, uh, it's more emotional. Yes. And absolutely. your kids, as they get older, actually need you around more. Yes. I've, so I've heard. So <laughs> it's just, it's different. Every stage is different and it's wonderful. And it's crazy, but it's it's lovely all at the same time. So mm-hmm. don't want to scare anybody. Just know that every stage brings new challenges. <laughs> yes, new challenges so- and new joys. All right, y'all. So we are going to stop it right there for this week. I know it went a little bit long, but do come back next week because we will continue our conversation with Lori. We will get into how the dads who want to take parental leave can actually do so. And we're also going to get into what should employers do? How can they 
help their employees take their parental leave and do so mindfully. So please be on the lookout for next week's episode as well. And before I go, I have one last request. If you are enjoying this podcast, please do give me a review. It definitely helps me be found. It helps the show to get found by others. That is it for this week. We will see you next week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Life & Law Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode and aren't yet a subscriber, be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. For show notes and free resources to help you succeed in both life and law, including the Life & Law Roadmap, visit lifeandlawpodcast.com.